0: You're listening to the Utah Man Podcast, bringing you the latest news and analysis for your Utah Utes. Now, your hosts, Cameron, Ryan, and Scott.
1: Welcome on into the Utah Man Podcast. I'm Cameron. We got Ryan, Hey Ute Nation, and Scott. How are we doing, you fans? So, we have a jam packed show for everyone of course we're going to be talking utah san jose state utah arizona getting ready for the pac-12 opener but we're going to have matt moreno from goazcats.com come in and kind of talk about arizona but we have of sounds man, like easy cats <laughs> the man the myth the legend bill marcroft Ooh. will be joining us giving us a little bit of Utah history. And it's not just Scott's attempt to Bill Marcroft, <laughs> either. It's the real Bill Marcroft the real. It's The real. the real deal. We had to get our sponsors to kind of pull a little more for us <laughs> to get two guests, and especially one of them being the great Marcroft. And, of course, one of our sponsors is Double Tree Suites by Hilton in Salt Lake City downtown at 100 West, 600 South, 801-359-7800. I say this every week, but they really are the preferred hotel of the Pac-12. A lot of teams that come into town stay there, and a lot of television crews that come in stay there as well. So it's a great hotel. Uh, Look them up. Great restaurant. Great bar. And they have delicious chocolate chip walnut cookies when you check in.
0: All right, tonight joining us on the podcast is the famous Bill Marcroft, who was voice of the Utes for 38 years and retired back in 2004. Thanks for joining us tonight, Bill.
2: Well, thank you very much. Uh, actually, it was January 2005. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> we'll edit that we'll out. We'll that out. <laughs> <laughs> it, was the, it was the end of the 2004 season, but it was the Fiesta Bowl.
0: Oh, so that was your last game called, was the Fiesta Bowl. Yes.
2: Then. The BCS Busting Fiestable. Well, awesome. what
0: a way to go out.
2: Yes, it was fantastic.
0: That's, that's great. Well, thanks again for joining us.
2: My pleasure.
0: So, Bill, I just got to ask you,
1: through all your years, 38 years covering Utah, did you ever envision that this program um, could get to such a, a prestige conference like the Pac-12?
2: Yes, I really felt that uh, both Utah and BYU would be in the Pac-12 much earlier than they were, than Utah was. Um, I felt that Washington State and Oregon State, see, in the early years, they were the the lost sisters, of you know, Pac-8. And I thought that those two would probably move over into the WAC or into something else and that Utah and BYU would move out of the WAC and move into the PAC eight and just keep it as a PAC eight. Then it went, of course, to the Pac ten and uh BYU mainly because the presidents have the uh, the uh, final word on who comes in and who who doesn't. And uh, the presidents uh, were were academicians and not uh, athletic uh, aficionados uh, they felt that the, that they didn't fit, and that Utah did fit, and that Colorado fit. So Colorado and Utah came in together. But I thought it would happen earlier than it did. I thought the program deserved to be in a much larger conference.
3: Hey, Bill, as as Ryan kind of mentioned earlier, uh, you know, a good portion of this fan base grew up with you know listening to you call call games. One of one of my uh, one of my great memories. I was I was in the car with my dad. We were on our way to go play some golf, and we were listening. I can't recall the the year off the top of my head. You'll probably remember this, but it was Utah was trailing Air Force at home, and we were down I believe by three scores with uh, just minutes to play, and they came back. And I remember listening to that game in uh, in the car with my dad, as you called that that amazing comeback. What stands out to you, out of all the years and all the games that you called, what stands out to you as, as just some of your favorite memories?
2: Well, first of all, I think every Utah-BYU game can be a favorite memory. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that rivalry, as, as uh, Wall Street Journal said, that is one of the top five rivalries in all of uh, the NCAA football. It rivals, uh, along with Ohio State and Michigan, uh, Auburn and Alabama, and uh, SC and uh, Notre Dame. It's right in that mix: Texas and Oklahoma. That's all five of them, and Utah, BYU. Uh, I I really was sad when we could not be playing at the end of the year for. A conference championship you know almost every year uh against each other it just doesn't work out that way now that we're out of the conferences mm-hmm. but at that last game of the year is your game of uh of uh rivalries so those teams i played ohio state michigan and uh the rest of them auburn and uh, alabama always play that rivalry week at the end of the season and the utah byu games are just absolutely phenomenal uh of course, BYU dominated so much. It took 46 years before BYU won their first game from Utah. <laughs> and it, it, I happened to, I happened to be there as a, as a, I think I was eight years old. My uncles took me to the game and they had never lost to BYU and they couldn't believe it. Then it took about 26 more years before BYU won the second game. But in the seventies and eighties, we were lucky we won two games in that 20 years. I think we won mm-hmm. in 78 with Randy Gomez. And Frank Henry at the end zone, I think it was 24-23, is the final score. And the other one was in 88 with Scott Mitchell.
0: Yeah, I remember that, that,
2: that one. The famous. Yeah, that was the one where, where Fossil poured it on.
0: Yeah, that that was a fun game.
2: Hey, well, BYU was known for pouring it on. So. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> now we're... He, just, he just turned the trick, that's all. That's right. <laughs>
0: How much have you paid attention to this year's team, and what? And if so, what do you what do you think about them?
2: Well, you well, know, this year's team is interesting. I mean, uh, it's to be able to sit back and analyze uh, Troy's uh, hiring uh, really surprised me when uh, when uh, Kyle turned the complete offense over to him, mm-hmm. and uh, of course Kyle said, "I'll always have the final decision," but he went along with uh, Troy's decision to. Uh, to have Huntley as a quarterback, and which surprised everybody. I mean, I've never ever heard of a of a quarterback who uh, went through the entire season as a starting quarterback and beat SC and a few other things that were notable. And to have him beat out at the end of the uh, uh, the year his senior year by a sophomore. Mm-hmm. But now that you look at it, you see that uh, Tyler fits right into Troy's offensive uh, genius. He's exactly what he wants. I don't know whether Carrington's comment after this last game that he's he reminds me of Mariota. Uh, that's that's pretty high praise. That is high <laughs> praise. Because he doesn't have the he doesn't have the same body.
3: Well, you know, in the number of years that you've you've been calling these games, you you probably have had to figure out a, a wide wide number of uh, of last names and how to pronounce them over the years with all of the. The Polynesians and Tongans that uh, Utah's brought into the program?
2: Well, uh, McBride was the father of the poly football because uh, uh, Coach Mack really went after Polynesian players. And Polynesian, he says, you don't have to convince the father, you have to convince the mother. He understood the family relationship in Polynesia, in Tongans, Samoans, or Hawaiians, or New Zealanders, or Maoris. He understood them and he related. He relates so well in recruiting. But uh, one time we had more polys on the University of Utah football team than they had in Hawaii. uh, Which was unusual. That is. And one time I think there were there were 10 top uh, high school Polynesian recruits on the island of Hawaii on uh, Aloha. And he got seven of them. Wow. That's when we got, uh, Fumatu Ma'afala, uh, Fala and, uh, and Troy, uh, Roy, his uh, Ma'afala, his, uh, his uncle. And, uh, we, we got the best and it was un- very unusual, particularly with Norm Chow being down at BYU and Norm Chow had a pipeline to Hawaii because he was from Hawaii. Mm-hmm.
3: Do you know the backstory on that? what what uh, what drove McBride to kind of open up that pipeline? Did, did he have a history of it or was it just the opportunity that he well, saw when he got here?
2: Bob Rice opened up a, a European health spa on in the Hawaii on the island of Oahu. and it gave him kind of a base you know to uh, to operate out of. And he is such a family type uh, person. And the whole culture of Polynesia is family, and uh, it fit beautifully. In fact, when I was in school—and we're talking about hundreds of years ago—when when I, when I was in school, <laughs> we had we had a Polynesian kicker, uh, Kalani, on the University of Utah team who kicked barefoot. Uh, and you know, and, and football is played in some of the uh, cold temperatures and, and the snows of Laramie and a few of the others. But he would he would wear no shoes when he kicked the football, and mm-hmm. his brother played at BYU. So those are the first two poly's I ever saw, and I'm probably the first two poly's to ever play in the state of Utah.
0: Hey, as uh, Bill, as the Utes open up Pac-12 play this uh, this week against Arizona, uh, do you have any uh, historical insight between these two schools that you'd like to share <laughs> with us?
2: <laughs> we have played Arizona's. The most times in the history of football outside of Colorado, of anybody else in the uh, in the Pac-12, t- uh, we've played Arizona. So they're old friends, mm-hmm. and I've seen an awful lot of games. And Arizona and Arizona State were the first two to bolt from the WAC and go to uh, the Pac-8, uh, which made it the Pac-12. But one of the greatest games ever for the, that I ever did for the University of Utah I came against the Wildcats. And at that time, it set an NCAA record for coming from behind in the fourth quarter to win a game. And it involved, oddly enough, one of my favorite Utah teams, which was a 1972 team coached by Bill Meek. I started as play-by-play and voice of the Utes in 1969, but Meek was my first head coach. And it featured several players that I had followed all the way through their high school careers. Uh, when Skyline started their string Utah State Football Championship, Steve Marlowe was a fullback in high school and at the U. And after college, he came back to Skyline. And he was the head coach, and he was also the athletic director. And, of course, he's now retired. Uh, Lance Robbins was the quarterback on the Skyline's first state championship teams. And uh, Lance Robbins, his brother, we called the... Uh, Lance was a famous name for a receiver, Lance Allworth at the time, but Lance Robbins was one of a pair of outstanding receivers, and he became a dentist uh, went to Northwestern, and he a practice in Chicago. In fact, I think he's team, the team dentist for Northwestern right now. And the real key was Steve Marshall, one of the greatest players ever for the University of Utah. He was a quarterback at Skyline on their state championship team, and Meek converted him to strong safety. And I've always likened uh, Eric Weddle to Marshall because they played the same position in college wow. and both were high school quarterbacks hmm. and both went to San Diego Chargers uh, after college. Uh, Marshall hurt his knee and that ended his pro career, but the real similarity between Marshall and Eric Weddle is how they played the game with the same intensity, intelligence, and ability uh, Marshall came back to Salt Lake, got involved in commercial real estate for about 35 years. He was an assistant coach at Skyline. He, too, is retired now. And uh, the quarterback on that 72 Utah team was Brownie Van Gilder. He teaches PE, high school PE in Fresno, California, and he referees just about every sport there is. And the other receiver was one of the all-time greats. We've really had some great outstanding uh, return men at the University of Utah. Steve Odom was the first and he was first team All American and he was possibly the fastest athlete to ever play for the University of Utah. And for years, he was an undercover agent in the police officer in Oakland. He too was retired. Now that you know who was playing in that game, uh, when they played back in 1972, the game was at Utah, but the stadium had almost emptied. After three quarters of play, because Utah was trailing 27 to nothing. Wow.
1: Oh, my God. wow,
2: And Van Gelder had been intercepted four times. <laughs> and Arizona had made the most of it. They only missed one PT. Now, here comes the NCAA breaking fourth quarter. On Utah's first play of the fourth quarter, Van Gelder hits Odom on a 60-yard touchdown pass. And it's 727. The second time Utes get the ball, another bomb to the All-American, a 68-yarder, and it's 14-27. The defense holds Arizona scoreless, and with five minutes to play, strong safety, Steve Marshall intercepts a pass and makes an incredible 58-yard return to score, and it's 21-27. And there's less than two minutes to play when Utah drives 72 yards down to the Arizona 5. And Bronny Van Gelder on a quarterback uh, sweep behind the offensive lineman Bob Peterson and a halfback uh, Steve uh, Gene Belzick, and tight end Willie Armstead, they tie it up at 27 all. And then Fleming Jensen kicks the extra point, and Utah sets the NCAA record for coming from behind in the fourth quarter to win a game. Now, that record has since been broken. UCLA may have broken it, I guess, this year a couple of weeks ago. Now... Hundreds of Utah football fans for years have come up to me and told me they saw that game. <laughs> but if truth be told, I'm sure most of them just heard it on call radio in the parking lot. Yeah, they probably saw the first three all quarters. <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh, well, well, that's it was awesome. a fantastic game. That's a great story. That, that's awesome. Uh, what do you think the Utes' chances are going into this game this this week against Arizona?
2: Well, I, I think they'll be favored without question against Arizona, uh, and I think they can win down there. I think Arizona is down this year. I think both Arizona schools are down this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Utah hasn't played their game yet. They haven't played a perfect game. No. Um, they got to get running. They, see, Utah has been known for running backs. I mean, we, We've had some just outstanding running backs that – that played in the Super Bowl in the NFL and, uh, set records in the NFL. Uh, my favorite running back of all time, uh, played for the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, I'm, boy, I'm lost for a name right now. It goes way, way back, but we've had, uh, guys that were, they were starters for the Denver Broncos at running back and, uh, Ma'afala, mm-hmm. Matu Ma'afala. Played and uh, Jamal Anderson, of course, was the uh, Dirty Bird yep. for the Ravens in the Super Bowl. Yep. We just had powerful running backs. And last year with Joe Williams, I mean, he had the ability to put the put it into high gear immediately and just cut right up field, which he's doing right now in the NFL. Mm-hmm. The same thing in the exhibition games that he played in. But uh, we don't have that kind of a, of a back, and Utah has to have a running game, which they have in this staff. We haven't had 100 yards yet. You're Nothing. right. Except almost from the quarterback, not from the, <laughs> from the halfback or so tailback.
0: Bill, we'd love to, uh, love to have you on again in the future, and thank you so much for joining us tonight.
2: Okay, no problem. I enjoy it. I enjoy talking Utah football.
0: Well, thanks again so much, and uh, if you don't mind, we'll call you again in the future.
2: Thank you for inviting me, and please do so.
0: Great. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Thank okay. you, Bill.
2: Okay. Th- Thank uh-huh. you,
1: Bill. Bye-bye. Pleasure talking with you.
2: Go Utes. Go Utes. Go
1: Utes, baby. So Utah comes away with the blowout against San Jose State Spartans, 54-16. to Tyler Huntley does it again. This kid is freaking good. Back-to-back 300-yard games. <sighs> First time in nine years, so uh,
3: yeah, the the points that Troy Taylor's been promising, uh, we uh, finally arrived. Well,
0: it's because they didn't, well, there were turnovers, but they stopped the penalties, that was key. Well, if if
3: we got out of our own way in that first quarter, we probably would have had 70 plus points on the board. It was pretty ridiculous early on what uh, <laughs> what we were doing offensively. Not a pretty first quarter, but still... We were moving the ball, stalled a little bit in the red zone, had to settle for field goals. Um, but you can see it, even though we we did clean up the penalties, not as many penalties. There were more turnovers than you would than you would want, or that we really can afford heading into Pac-12 play. But we're moving the ball, and when I think the team is finally, you know, obviously getting that confidence, but I think they're kind of working their their way through some of these issues. And uh, I think I think they're gonna start rolling here. At least that's that's the hope. That's the hope of the fa- the fan base
0: right now. I find it interesting that after the last three games, we've heard a lot of the players comment how we haven't seen much of the playbook yet. What are you guys' thoughts on that? Do you think that's accurate? They're holding they're holding stuff back for Pac-12 play. Or do you think Troy Taylor is just throwing so much at him that they're not able to digest everything yet, and that's why we haven't seen anything?
3: Well, and the other question to that is, what, what portion of the, of the playbook are we not seeing yet? Is it the run game? Is it a combination of both run-pass? I, I, I would suspect um, Troy continually talks about how this is a simplified offense. And so I, I would suspect that they're not overloaded. And the things they're holding back are because they haven't been able to execute in practice. I would I would think that it's just uh, he doesn't want to show anything. I mean Carrington talked about that that uh, he he just feels that uh, he's been saving everything. Troy's been saving everything for Pac-12 play, and uh, I think this week on Fridays when we're really going to kind of see. I mean we really haven't even attempted the ball de- throwing the ball down the field. You know we've been very conservative in the passing mm-hmm. game. And, and I would say we've been very conservative in the running game. You know, just a lot of zone, zone running place. And, you know, to, to either side, we've done some power run game, but not a whole lot of it. And, you know, that's, that's kind of our hallmark. That's, that's where our bread, at least in the past, has been buttered. So I would suspect we're going to see the, the running game continue to advance, um, as far as just, the plays that we're going to be running, mixing it up, and not so many just you know sweeps to the side, um,
1: and and I suspect we'll start attacking downfield more than we have. My biggest thought on this offense that that's being installed is it seems like each game so far we've seen sort of a different part of it, right? Like the BYU game was a lot of read option. Uh, we didn't really see very much of that against San Jose state
3: no but but uh, but huntley did say that uh, san jose state tried taking that away they uh, they took him away um and and as big of a weapon as his legs are pac 12 teams are going to do the exact same thing
1: they're going to they're going to play him where he's got to get rid of that ball and definitely and that's why i'm saying like that's the part of this offense that we've seen, how limited it is, what you know, what players are saying, is that it it's adapting and I like that. Yeah. We're gaining an identity. We're not being one dimensional. Even though there's talking heads here in the state that want to say that there's only one player on offense that's mm-hmm. carrying this team. <laughs> I, I like that we're seeing different aspects of what this team is, and especially what this offense can do. And what it's capable of doing under Troy Taylor?
3: Oh yeah, I mean you can see it. There's there's a couple times. Just uh, we sit in the in the north end zone, where you know you, you can kind of see plays develop pretty well from that angle. And there's a couple times last game, some passing plays and even some running plays where, you know, I, I have I hadn't noticed them in the past with with previous OCs, but how they were designed and and the routes that were run to free guys up it isn't so much just hey go beat your guy go go beat him get open and the ball will come to you it is a design to get the defense out of position and that's where the ball's going to yeah, go you
0: and i were talking about that a couple of times during the game how they faked uh they faked a running play brought the linebacker up which opened up the spot where the wide receiver filled and caught the pass and not only that but all
3: three wide receivers were in routes where they could have any three of them could have got, could have gotten that ball mhm you know and so yes it is a simplified offense the iphone offense whatever we want to call it but it is definitely more complex than what we've been seeing so i I'm not sure what we ran last year. It may have been like a, a Nokia <laughs> you know, like a... Is it was flip phone?
1: was, it, was it Arod playing Snake? Is that how he's like, called? It late? may
3: have been. I mean it may have it may have been, been before. it may have been before the flip phone.
0: <laughs> one of those old bricks back in the nineties when cell phones were well, no
3: one of those car phones is still, you know, built into the car. But uh I'm mean, obviously we're just having some fun. But uh no, I, I I really like what the offense is doing. Yes, that first quarter was frustrating. Fans weren't all that real happy, um, but you can see it. You can see a different level of offense than than what we've seen in the past. And obviously, we've we've probably had, we've got more talent than we've had in years past. Huntley, as dynamic as he is, throwing the ball, running the ball, gives this offense more options than if Troy Williams was a quarterback, because as much as we want Troy to Troy to run last year and it's not his strength. Can he do it? Sure, Is he great at it? We really didn't see it. So Huntley brings a different level than you know I think we'd get with any of the other two quarterbacks on on the roster or at least the depth chart as of now, but but we still got some
1: work to do in the run game. Yeah, I think the run game for me, really, I'm still really disappointed in. And let's kind of break that down. Uh, We've talked about it before, and it didn't seem like anything really got fixed this week. Is this a concern for you guys? Because it is for me, going into Pac-12 play.
0: Yeah, I've I've actually been disappointed in Zach Moss so far. He really hasn't shown what I think we all think he's capable of showing. He he showed bursts last year where I thought, this guy's going to be good. And there was talk back and forth in camp between him and Shine, and one would edge out the other one day, and then the other would edge out. And And I think before Shine got hurt, Zach Moss had edged ahead, which to me said, oh, this is going to be great. But we haven't seen anything.
3: No, I I mean, Moss, is he a good running back? Yes. I said this last week. I don't think he's a elite. Number one running back at the Pac-12 level, I think he he can be a good goal line guy. I think he can he he definitely has some strengths. He can catch the ball out of the backfield, but as big as he is, he doesn't seem to run with all that much power and strength. And you know, it's obviously it's still early in the season. and We're going to need him, and he's going to be a big part of this offense, hopefully. But uh, I mean. Granted, we're fans, right? We're not coaches. We don't have all these years of experience of evaluating talent, things like that. And we're not in practice every day. No. But I will say, (laughs) as as a fan base, well, that's true, too. (laughs) But as a fan base, it was pretty easy to see Booker early on was going to be good. It didn't take a rocket scientist to figure this out. Same thing with Armand Schein last year. You kind of saw him. I mean, he wasn't the starter. Booker wasn't the starter his first year in the program. But you saw when they got their touches, that's a guy you got to watch out for. That's a guy that's going to rise up this depth chart. That's how I think a lot of people are starting to feel about Devontae Henry Cole and what he brings to the table. Now, granted, yes, it was garbage time against a Mountain West level team. But what I liked about him, it's not just the result... But He runs with more power. He hit the hole. Hard. He hit the hole. He didn't. Mm-hmm. He didn't hesitate, and he doesn't dance around. And that's the thing with Moss. It doesn't seem like he's aggressive. Or I mean, Joe Williams. What made him so special when he came back last year is he would hit the hole at full speed. Full speed. He would. He was a rocket through there. And a lot of times, those holes aren't open very long. You got to get through them and uh i'm just not impressed with moss you know he just kind of dances and then he'll just kind of run in and fall down so obviously again this is just uh, a fan's uh, opinion but I, I really am excited to see what uh, Devontae henry cole can do if as Witt says can get some playing time due to learning his responsibilities pass blocking uh, blitz pickup, things like that, which you got to do outside of just running the ball.
0: When you go going back to what you said earlier, that the running game needs to get going. It's Huntley is the passing game. Huntley is the running game. When you get into Pac-12 play, teams will start to take one of those away, and then that limits what you can do offensively. Well, You've got to get the running game going so you have more weapons to utilize.
3: Oh, for sure. And not to mention, I, I mean, we don't want to talk about it, and we sure as heck hope it doesn't happen. But what what happens if Huntley goes down? I mean, now you've lost your top
0: running back and your, <laughs> and your quarterback. And I then just, our backup quarterback comes in with his hands in That's his what I
1: was going to say. I just, Williams <laughs> takes his hands that out of his little hand warmer. See
3: if he cares. <laughs> yeah, that was... Uh, well, but I mean... That's a good point. Here, You know, we are harping on the run game, but right now this offense is averaging 34 minutes of time of possession right now, which is first in the Pac-12, and it isn't close. It is not close. We've we've got it by nearly, I think, 12 minutes in time of possession over over the next uh, best team in the conference. So they are possessing the ball. You know, we're not just quick. Quick drives, quick scores. They are marching the, the ball down the field, which is good for the defense. So they're doing some good things. I think we just we just haven't seen the explosive plays from the running game that we kind of a, have grown accustomed to over the years. And as Marcroft said, that's kind of been our bread and butter as far
1: back as he can remember. So obviously, you know, this offense is still a work in progress. They're still implementing things. Obviously, guys are still learning, you know, if if Dev, uh, Devonta Henry Cole is still trying to learn the offense. I think everyone is, is still trying to learn, and and hopefully well, if they do, they it, will they will get better. It's right? new for everybody, exactly.
3: I mean, you got a new quarterback, new running back, new OC, new offensive line. So I mean, yeah, it is new for everybody. So yeah, there's going to be the growing pains, and
1: uh, and
0: it, it, it's getting
3: better, right? It is getting it better. It's
0: getting better. What what yeah. you think about that though? I Think well, you just said that every significant position is new you would you would think even the tight ends are new because we don't (laughs) pass to them yet two 300 yard passing games in a row with all of the quote new going on i mean that's that that says that there's probably quite a bit of potential oh there's no question
3: continue to grow there's no question and and I mean, obviously the BYU game, maybe the little outlier there being the rivalry game, but you've seen the progression each week. You know, from, uh, f- I mean, even, even though we didn't score a ton of points against BYU, you could see the progression in what they were doing. And then after that first quarter, um, last week, you know, you really kind of set, you saw them just lay it, lay it on San Jose State. So I think there's potential. And granted, Arizona, yeah, they're a Pac twelve team, but they play defense like a Mountain West team. So <laughs> I I think I think we're gonna to continue to be able to move the ball on them and score some points. We'll get into that here in a little bit, but um yeah, I, I think there's a lot of reason for optimism offensively. And
1: uh you know when it doesn't work out we just turn it over to gay. He's got a leg on him. So Winningham better fall on his knees and think like lucky stars that this kid fell into his lap because that's what we spoke before. And he was leaning, wanting to go to BYU, and they wouldn't give him a time of day, so he said, no, I'll go to Salt Lake. I mean, he's he's 11 for 11 on the season, and and a good number of those
3: have not been chip shots. I mean, he kicked a 50-yarder, he kicked a 56-yarder, which is second longest in school history. And uh, yeah, that boy, he's got, he's got a leg on him, and it's proven to be pretty darn accurate.
0: When you go from 4 years of automatic Andy, we got used to every time he came out there you expected it to go through the uprights. And we thought we don't know what we're going to have this year with Andy gone and here we are. Now will he stay perfect all year? Probably not.
3: But No, but but here's the deal. As good as he is, we're relying on him too much. I mean, he's got 11 attempts. We've as a team we've got 12 in the Pac-12. The next highest has 7 attempts on the season. So and there's there's uh Stanford I believe only has 2 attempts on the season. Now granted they're one and two, so you don't necessarily want it's not a great comparison. But as good as he is, he is a weapon and it's good to have it, but I just hope we do not Need four field goals from him a game moving forward because we've got to start taking care of that the ball in the red zone here.
0: Yeah, extra points great, field goals, not so much. But you know, we
3: at this point, if this keeps up, we may win the Lou Groza and the Ray Guy Awards. (laughs) We own the kicking world.
0: (laughs) Just call us Kicker University, Kicker U. Well, since we're talking to special teams, how about Wisnowski getting getting a bad snap, picking it up, running to his left, and kicking left footed? That's that pretty was, remarkable. I
1: thought he almost could have picked up the first down running.
0: Uh, yeah, at first I thought that's that's what he was. Live, his I plan thought, was, too, but then when he saw the replay, there was a guy that was going to get him. That was going to close that yeah. an angle out.
3: Okay, but I mean, on the run. Kicks it with the left foot, and and it wasn't just like he he the ball went forward. It was a good kick.
0: It was a good kick, and very close to staying in bounds and rolling inside the five yard line. But uh, still, to get it to where he got it, I mean, it was inside the fifteen yard line. Ended up, and that was spectacular. Well, the other aspect about that is the
3: snap. We haven't had a bad snap in in five years. Chase Dominguez, who was the long snapper for the last four years, he graduated last year, but he did not have a bad snap his entire career. You never really talk of snappers or those guys, but uh, what a job he did. Obviously, uh, I'm not even sure. i have to look at the depth chart here, but I'm not sure re- recall who our, our snapper is currently. I think it's currently. Alex Whittingham. Come on, Wake, Get him going. It's unacceptable.
0: That was only, most of his snaps are pretty good. That was just a bad one. Hopefully that's not a trend.
1: So as I said, the offense is still coming together, but a lot of guys I think are starting to shine uh, for the first three games. Tyler Huntley, uh, Carrington, real big stars so far. Defensively, the youths have been lights out. Chase Hansen missed the game due to injury. Marquise Blair comes in, and there's not even... You can't even tell the difference with the defense.
0: Whoa, whoa. Did you just downgrade Chase Hansen's ability? <laughs>
1: I'm not downgrading him at all. I'm just but, saying that that's how great this defense is. Who was uh,
3: Blair's... Uh, who picked him to be the breakout player of the year? Oh, boy. Here we go. Just saying. But Blair, Blair's been a... I think Blair is completely outshining Corian Ballard. Now granted, You know, the free safety is a little bit different from the strong safety. The strong is going to get more involved in, 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 uh, closer line of scrimmage and, and coming out. Whereas obviously Ballard's going to kind of stay deep with the free safety, but you really haven't heard his name Mm -mm. called much at all this year. And, uh, hopefully he can get going. And, uh, but peace seems to, uh, peace was on the radio today, uh, John peace. And uh, explained what a good job the safeties are doing, both Ballard and uh, Marquise Blair in that game against San Jose State. So, granted, a little shaky at times was the secondary.
0: Not sure if they just fell asleep. They didn't give up, end up giving up points, but they did give up some. Oh, well, they did give well, up, on one play. They gave up a deep ball touchdown. For a touchdown early, but later in the game they were giving up yards, but didn't end up giving up points. I think, Scott, you mentioned earlier that the Utes are holding opponents to 49 yards per game. On the ground. On the ground. 49 yards on the
3: ground, 196 through the air for 246 total per game,
0: which uh, puts us through three games, number one of the Pac-12. Which is great. And heading into this week, I mean, our rushing defense is going to play against Arizona's strength. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to find out how we hold up because, you know, in the past we've we've struggled defending their running attack.
3: Well, you think of Kadim Carey. I think that was was that three years ago. Ran for nearly three hundred yards mm-hmm. on us. I think in a three year span they ran for three hundred, two ninety six, and like two eighty, and obviously all three of those were losses.
0: And you have to take into account that those were during our growing years in the Pac-12 when we were. didn't have the caliber of athletes we have now. For sure. But but we've always been – the
3: defensive line has always been the strength, even in the Mountain West days. And, uh, yeah, granted, we jumped up a level and there were some growing pains there. But Rich Rod has had success on Witt and uh, and really any of the defensive coordinators. Last year was by far – the best performance we've had against Arizona uh, um, when Rich Rod's been there. Uh, gave up, I believe, 146 yards on the ground. But again, that was a 3-9 and nine football team. So obviously, there's still, uh, still a number of games to be played. Who knows how good Arizona is going to be this year and if there is market improvement. But we've... Being that it's a road game this year, we're going to have to have a similar performance. You cannot allow them for, to run for 300 yards. No. You've got, you've got. I mean, 328 is their average. So you've, you've got to keep them well below your average. Otherwise, you're going to be in a shootout.
1: So I think that's a good observation of what happened this past week against San Jose State. Uh, before we bring Matt on to... Really break down this Arizona team. Uh, that interview is brought to you by our great sponsors with Farmers Insurance. For protecting your home, vehicle, and family, look to Farmers Insurance. Call Scott Omer at 801 307 4046. So joining us now from Go AZ Cats is Matt Moreno. Matt, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to talk to us.
4: Yeah, no problem. Thanks
1: for having me. First question I've got to ask you, with this Arizona team, uh, they weren't bowl eligible last year. Are you getting any sort of sense that that's kind of lingering into this season? Uh, Or or is this team really focused on just taking that next step and, and getting back to bowl eligibility?
4: It's interesting with this team. You could kind of sense it at the end of last year. I didn't really know how to ask Rich Rodriguez about outright asking him what he was doing. But you could kind of see it coming down the pipeline where there is going to be a big shift with this team. And this team was going to be get a lot younger, uh, get a lot of new faces. And some of those guys that were part of the last couple teams that didn't do so well, including that 3-9 and nine team, weren't going to be around anymore. You could just get that sense that whether it was guys uh, just deciding to, to kind of end their careers or guys to transfer elsewhere as grad transfers, like you had with someone like Ani Solomon, who's at Baylor now. Um, you just kind of got the sense that there's going to be a lot of turnover. Uh, Rich Rodriguez was talking a lot about at the, lo- at the end of last season, how excited he was for his incoming freshman class. And, uh, it ended up being something like 40 new guys, a little bit over 40 new guys that they brought in. Um, they're now playing, uh, they're only behind LSU and, and Illinois in terms of playing true freshmen this season. Uh, they've played 17 of them. Um, you kind of sense it coming. And I think that was something that we saw, uh, play out towards the end of last season into the spring ball. And now into the season. And I think because of that, you have a lot of guys who didn't know about last year. They didn't go through the three and nine season. They don't know about balls really. They're really young. Um, they just want to play football. And I think that's helped uh, Arizona kind of shake last year. And then you have the guys that were part of that team last year. who are kind of instilling, Hey, we don't want to go through that again in some of these young players. And I think that's really helping kind of shake that. And it's, it's all new when you talk about young players. It's all a new experience to them anyways. They're not, they don't care about last season. They don't care about three and nine. They just want to win football games. And I think that's really helped kind of shake that uh, stigma from last year. I think the older players, remember, they don't want to go through that again, but I think having so many new young guys and uh, so many freshmen play uh, has really helped uh, kind of shake this team from that from that uh, year last year and kind of what they went through.
3: So with the, the, the lull that was last year and so bringing in so many new guys, what, what's the vibe uh, around the fam, fan base with Rich Rod? Is he on the hot seat? Does he is he still pretty comfortable as far as uh, you know his job security?
4: It really depends on who you ask. If you ask the fans, I think they've already made their decision. They don't want to see the guy back. But <laughs> that's I think that's 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 that,
1: that's every that's fan base, right?
4: Not, <laughs> yeah, that's that's not that they're not making the decisions. I think just from the vibe we've gotten, obviously at the new athletic director uh, since his time last year, Greg Byrne left to Alabama uh, to go take over that program and that athletic department and. Uh, Dave Hickey is now in place here at Arizona and he's always been someone who when you look at his past, he's always taken time. He hasn't fired a lot of guys. He hasn't fired a lot of coaches. and um, He's been someone who has been patient. Um, this is an interesting position that Arizona is in. They're coming off a really bad season. Attendance is down. Um There's not a lot of excitement about the program right now. Uh, they didn't have an, outstand- an outstanding recruiting class, but a class that they can be proud of and is doing some things now that we're seeing, but we haven't gotten the sense out here, at least that it's a hot seat or that he's playing for his, for his career right now or his job. And, uh, I think fans have built that up. I think the media has built that up a little bit and we kind of can see the, the writing on the wall in, in many ways. But I also don't think you've seen that pressure from the program or, or at least, uh, outwardly from the program, you know, you can get that vibe usually when there's a coach that's on the hot seat. It hasn't had that same feel. Uh, Rich Rodriguez himself has been really, uh, in a good mood different than when we see him in years past, he's been, uh, pretty happy with how things have gone for the most part. And I think he doesn't seem like a coach is on the hot seat. So, um, based on all that, I don't get the sense that he's really coaching for his job this week. And then, or, or against Houston was coaching for his job. He just doesn't feel that way. Uh, maybe we're going to get kind of blindsided by this. And if things get really bad, it, it really depends on how things play out. Obviously this is an important game for him. If he wins this game, it sets him on a good course for Pac-12 play. And, uh, on the course for bowl eligibility again i think i don't know that there's a make or break point i think it's going to be a multitude of things that eventually make this decision whether he comes back or not i think being bowl eligible will really help him and it'll be set them on a good course and he'll be someone who i think if they can get eligible, i think he keeps his job i don't think it's it's a necessity for him to keep his job i think they could not be bowl eligible not reach a bowl and he could still keep his job in, in many ways if there's progress and so far there's been that progress the defense looks better uh, different aspects of the team look better, and you can see that progress. He made a lot of coaching changes, brought in some people that have improved some things, and I think all those signs kind of lead to him being back, but there's a lot of season to go and a lot of different paths this way this thing can go. Hey,
0: I know it's early on in the season, and it's hard to get a read on a lot of teams this early when they're playing out-of-conference games, but what you've seen so far from Arizona, what do you think their strength is on the offensive side of the ball?
4: Uh, I think that's pretty clear to everyone that's watched and kind of clear for what we thought they were going to be. I think that's the overarching theme of, of this team this year is they've kind of been what we expected, uh, on the good side, I think, and maybe, may, maybe on the bad side too in some ways. Um, they haven't passed the ball well. That's not what they do. Uh, Brandon Dawkins, what he does well is run the ball. And when they're running the ball effectively, they're a good team. They're hard to beat. Um, I know that's given Utah some struggles, which is interesting because Utah's so good against the run, But, uh, what Arizona does well is they run the ball. When they, when they're at full strength, have all their guys healthy. That's what they do well. It's what they're going to want to do each game and they're going to want to set the tone by running the ball well. Um, they have their, they have probably their deepest running back group since Rich Rodriguez has been there. They can go four or five deep. And that fifth guy just happened to be, uh, Rivals 200, 250, Rivals 250 member last year, almost cracked the top 100, uh, four star guy Nathan Tilford, And he, Fairly confused, but he's he's got three touchdowns already kind of in garbage time. Fans really want him to be the featured back, but they have Nick Wilson and J.J. Taylor who can uh, really do some things and, and help them uh, go over 500 yards again uh, against NAU to start the season. And so they have a deep group, and I think what they do well is run the ball.
1: So, Matt, you know, Rich Rod is 4-1 and one against Kyle Winningham since he's been at Arizona, and that's a big talking point up here in Salt Lake. Um, I know a lot of fans really point to that whenever they talk about these two teams. Does, is there a feel that down in Tucson that Rich Rod kind of in a sense owns Kyle Winningham in that aspect or, or do the cats not even worry about that and do fans not even talk about that down there?
4: It's funny. In years past, there has been that talk. There has been that sense that, you know, this is a game that Arizona owns Utah. They don't necessarily have to worry about it as much. Um, this year's been so different because there's so many fans that feel like Rich Rodriguez is on the hot seat that they, they're they not even looking at that. They're not paying attention. They think this is a completely different team than, than what Arizona's had in the last few years. Obviously, last year, Arizona lost, uh, broke that streak. But um it's not something that's even come up so far this week, and you don't hear fans talking about it. Um The media members and the media has obviously covered these games and watched these games and seen how it's played out. But it's not something that I've heard a lot among the fan base among the team, it's just not something that's coming up right now. I think in the back of their mind, everyone kind of remembers, you know, uh Arizona's done pretty well against Utah, um, has ha- had that streak going for a few years and was able to do some nice things and really run the ball well and do what they do well against Utah. But this week it's been a lot different. I'm, and I don't know if I'm surprised by that or if I'm not, but uh, there's so much else going on with this team and so many of Arizona's problems that they're really trying to work through um, that kind of, didn't solve themselves, but at least got better last week against UTEP. But uh, there hasn't been necessarily, necessarily been that time to worry about, you know, is this a team that owns Utah or anything like that. I just haven't got that sense, at least around the team and even the fan base this week.
3: Matt, break, break down for us, if you will, uh, the defense a little bit and maybe some guys that uh, Utah fans should watch out for uh, that are uh, having a good season and impacting the defense.
4: It's going to be a lot of new names, not guys that you've necessarily heard of before because they're playing so many freshmen on that defensive side of the ball. Uh, there's a lot of newcomers on that, on that side of the ball. Um, someone I think that will be interesting to see, uh, will be Derek Bowles in the middle. He's, uh, he was at Boise State. He had to go the JUCO route, uh, left Boise State for a while. Um, Arizona, he was going to go to USF. He was going to go to a couple different places. He committed and decommitted and came back to Arizona, but, He's someone in the middle who's really he really looks the part uh, of kind of what Arizona has been missing uh, as a defensive tackle, and, and I think he's someone to continue to watch. Uh, he's not a freshman, but he's a newcomer to this to this team, and uh, so far he's been as advertised. But uh, someone we've been talking a lot about this week is Colin a uh, linebacker out of Orange County uh, out in California. Uh, his brother plays at Oregon. He played safety, I believe, at Oregon last year and had like the most tackles among freshmen. Now he's playing wide receiver at Oregon. Uh, caught a touchdown pass the other day, but, uh, so he, neither one of the Schooler brothers was recruited very highly. Um, a lot of, uh, non power five offers that came their way. And they didn't really get, uh, the attention that maybe they deserve, but Colin School has been really good to start the season. Uh, there's already, uh, three games into the season, there's already the Scooby Wright talk. Uh, that question was brought up <laughs> at the press conference this week. Is, is he potentially a Scooby Wright type of guy? But they have similar games. Both well played running back in high school and linebacker uh, have similar styles to the way they approach the game, play the same position at Arizona, but I don't, I don't think he's there yet. I don't know if he has that potential Scooby was very, very good. And uh, just someone that you don't see very often, but on school, he had a, he had a forced fumble last week against UTF. He had an interception The interception was kind of a gimme. It was just kind of a toss up and he went up and got it. But the forced fumble was a really nice play. Um, and he's someone who's really kind of carving out his role in his defense uh, Colin Wilborn coming off the edge he plays what's called their stud linebacker position uh, so sometimes he kind of drops in the coverage sometimes he's rushing the passer but uh, he's not someone that that we were expecting I cover the recruiting side and he was not someone I was expecting to be this impactful this early uh, but he's been a really strong player for Arizona coming off the edge uh, disrupting plays and then Tony Fields is someone that uh school like Notre Dame wanted at safety a little bit undersized to play linebacker but that kind of fits right into Arizona's wheelhouse and uh, he wants to play linebacker and he started since day one, came in as an early enrollee and he's really, he's really been a strong piece of this defense at the linebacker spot. And they really needed to upgrade. You men- you see, I mentioned three linebackers. They really needed to upgrade those linebacker spots. And they really hit that hard in the 2017 class, um, on the recruiting trail and, they- and they've accomplished what they wanted so far with-, with those three guys.
3: Very good. Uh, so, okay. On a lighter note here. You know, it's no secret, uh, Rich Rod. It gets a little animated at times on the sidelines, and which can be pretty entertaining. What is your favorite Rich Rod meltdown?
4: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I have one. Um, you know, we're so far away in the press box that we can't really we can't really see everything. We kind of see the more animated stuff from kind uh, of the hands floating around, and uh, and we can't necessarily see the words or anything like that from the press box. sort since we're so high up, uh, kind of only on the TVs at times, but they're a little bit on of a delay, so you don't get to do kind of have to watch the game as opposed to the TVs, but uh I don't know if I have one. That's a great question. Um I know there's been a couple. There's been a couple that have been really good. Uh, nothing that really sticks out in my mind, but uh, he's definitely someone who gets animated, and, and it's usually about the quarterbacks. I know it's, it's, it's tough to play quarterback for Rich Rodriguez, but he tends to get a lot out of those guys and can turn kind of some average quarterbacks into really strong players. Uh, like he's done a couple different times at Arizona already. And, um, it's usually on those quarterbacks that he gets angry. And if there's a turnover, he gets angry. But I don't know. There's not necessarily one that sticks out in my mind as, as one that is, is worse than the others. I know there's been a couple, uh, kind of been practice and, and things like that that don't get talked about as much, aren't as, as much in the open. But, uh, yeah, as far as the games, I, I, I don't know if there's one that sticks out to me.
0: Hey Matt, uh, I don't know how much you've seen uh, Utah play this year, if at all. But uh, coming into this game this week, what uh, what are your feelings on on uh, kind of a prediction?
4: You know, I'm I'm interested to see this. I think it's I think it's a closer game than it probably will get credit for. Um, I said a field goal last week, I was or <clears throat> the week before, sorry, uh, against Houston. I was I was spot on with that. I said a blow by Arizona against Utah, but I think anybody could have called. Even Arizona blowout blow out of, of UTEP. They're not exactly the greatest team. They actually might be the worst team I've seen Arizona play since I've covered this team. They're, they're pretty bad. Um, but I think this is a field goal game. I just think, I don't know that it's necessarily Arizona having Utah's number. I don't think it's Utah kind of having some struggles against BYU and then having this game where they, and a lot of people talk about Utah and say, well, you know, who have they played? They're 3-0, but who have they played? Uh, I think there's, I mean, I I don't think San Jose State was that bad, but obviously that was a good game for Utah coming off, uh, that game last week. And uh, I think that built some momentum going to the Pac-12 play. I don't see a blowout either way. I think the way Arizona's built, they, they're built the same way that they were when they had success, uh, be, before last season against Utah. Um, they're going to run the ball. They just, that's what they do. It's going to be very hard to stop them from running the ball because they have so many different threats and do so many different things. I think Brandon Dawkins is, is kind of cleared his head and is on the right path. So I think that's another good thing for Arizona. Um, I, I, I don't know about a score. I'm, I'm thinking something like 27 24. Uh, I think Arizona actually wins this one. I, I think it's been an interesting season already. And Matt, I, I, Matt, Matt,
3: do you want to come uh, back Arizona. on the show again? <laughs>
4: I've <laughs> picked against I've picked against Arizona already a couple times. I uh, won't we'll do it once against Houston, so I, I can't. from my fan base, I might hear this. If I want to stay in Tucson, I probably should be picking the Arizona win this week. So I actually think I think it's gonna be a close game. I think it's a field goal either way, um, and, and I think Arizona finds a way to snag this one.
1: Perfect, Mac. Thanks so much again for taking time out. Um, you know, I'm a big fan of Utah, but also the Pac-12, and so I really like following guys that cover the teams in the in the conference where can people find you on social media
4: uh, well our main page our main twitter page is goazycats.com, uh and that'll that'll kind of keep you up to date with all the things going on with Goazycats. uh for me my personal uh, twitter account is matt GoAzyCats, Um and you can kind of find everything there from all the day-to-day coverage that i do for uh for our site covering arizona
1: Awesome. Hey, thanks, man. Thank you so much. And uh, we'll be in touch with you. All right.
4: All right. Thanks. Thanks, Matt. Thanks,
1: Matt.
0: All right. Appreciate it.
1: Matt broke it
3: down. They're, you know, four or five deep at uh, the running back position. We all know Rich Rod does not care about the health and safety of his quarterbacks. So he will run them to death. And
0: uh, wasn't it last year? this game, we knocked Dawkins out of the game? He
3: he, he he came in a little injured, and he, I don't think he was 100%, but we did knock him out, and Tate came in, finished the game, and actually had some pretty, pretty decent success through the air. Didn't, didn't do much uh, running against us last year, but um, I, I, it's going to be a test because it, we really have not proven that we can just handle them yet.
0: From an offensive standpoint, I think a huge key to this game will be to limit our turnovers. We can't go on the road into a Pac-12 environment and be as loose with the ball as we've been in the first few games. It looks like they've started working and taking care of the penalty situation, so hopefully that doesn't rear its head again. But turning over the ball is going to kill us. Turnovers, penalties,
1: I mean, obviously the cliche things, right, to win football games. But with conference games, that's what you got to do. I think another big thing with with the offense is maybe spread the ball around. Is it being too much focus on Carrington right now? I, You know, I don't think so. I
3: mean, because he's producing. And, I mean, he's got 26 uh, receptions on the year, 409 yards. He's on pace for 1,600 yards. In three years at Oregon... He had sixteen hundred yards, and that was Oregon. Who you, you know, you just kind of think, man, they're they're putting up five, six hundred yards a game, and obviously they had a lot of talent. So he wasn't always the number one target. But what he's doing right now is on another level. And at some point, the defenses are gonna just—they're going to, well, they're going to at least attempt to double cover, bracket coverage, and not allow him to go and continue to put up
0: one hundred thirty yards a game. But the but the talk of he's being he's being utilized too much. I don't get it because if the defense isn't taking it away, is, why go away from it?
3: Well, and but this is coming from a source. This is coming from the local media who, if we weren't utilizing him enough, that would be their complaint. So you really can't win, and it's 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 ridiculous. I, I, mean,
0: I know, but it doesn't. You use something till it doesn't work. Yeah. If they take it away, then you make adjustments. It
3: well, just... and at at the at the same time, I mean, Nakua's blasted onto the scene. I mean, he's got fourteen receptions on the year and and he's got good hands. We've got enough targets between Singleton, between Wilson, Simpkins, Nakua. We've got enough guys, and as more attention continually gets put on Carrington, you're gonna see a lot of these guys step up and, and have some bigger games. So I think naturally it's going to even itself out. But Carrington should, he should be your number one option majority of the time because until, yeah, until somebody stops it or until he, you know, we're getting, we're making mistakes because we're forcing balls into him and turning the ball over, which, you know, right before the half, you know, Huntley was guilty of that. But until that happens, you've got to continue to go at him because everything that's thrown to him, he catches.
0: I mean, you look at every college program; you even look at in the NFL. They all have a number one guy.
3: Well, look I, at Julio I, I, Jones. At, you know, incredible year last year. The focus, the defensive focus. I was watching the game last night. He he came out on fire had some big receptions and then they focused on him and they slowed him down but the offense didn't slow down
1: because it freed up other guys to go make plays and they still went and scored points exactly and i think that's going to be the big thing right is is using carrington and his skill set to open up other things
3: yeah and th- and that'll happen and and that should if if we can continue to evolve the passing game that's going to help the running game too take some pressure off it get backers out from filling the box and, uh, and it, you know our offense here obviously I'm you know maybe being a little too optimistic but our offense I think is on the verge of just exploding I think I think we've got an opportunity with the talent that we have with the scheme that we have I think we've got the ability to be one of the uh, upper echelon offenses in the league this year
1: Okay, so taking all that into consideration, what we heard from Matt, what, what we're saying here, let's go ahead and make our picks for this game. Uh, Scott, who do you have and what's the score?
3: All right, so this is, uh, you know, on paper we should, uh, I think we should handle Arizona. But uh, until we prove that we can do that, I th- you know, I think this is going to be a, cl- a closer game than we would like. Um, but I still think we win by a touchdown. I'm going to go 31-24.
1: I I agree with you on all those points. I think it it will be a lot closer. I think Vegas has this as like a a three-and-a-half, four-point game. Um, I think it will be a little more than that. I'm going Utah 24-17, Ryan.
0: I'm going to go a little bit away from that. Um, I think it's close, about midway through the third quarter, and then I think Utah breaks it open a little bit and wins 34-21.
1: All right, and how we end every podcast is picking our Pac-12 games. I gotta say, Cal, you've done it for me. Oh boy, I'm six and zero on the year. I told you guys that Cal was going to be better than a one or two win team. And it's going to end, this and they're week. at three. So <laughs> thank you, Cal. I'm yeah, but you sold
3: your soul by cheering for Cal. So congratulations.
1: So Cal, thank you very much, but I'm probably never going to pick you again the rest of this year. <laughs> So the first game we're picking... That means Cameron's not going to win any games this Turn weekend. them and burn them. I'm running the table this season. Uh, UCLA is at Stanford, where the trees are favored by 7.5 points. Wow. Scott, it's that big, huh? where are you going with this one?
3: Well, you've got two underachieving teams. One that's just uh, underachieved this year, another that's done it for decades. In UCLA, so I—that's a good one. This is kind of make or break for both teams. They got to get—they uh, got to get
1: going. But I'm going to go UCLA on the road. So I think this really is a tough game to pick. Uh, UCLA coming off a loss at Memphis, where it looked like they were in control, but they just couldn't stop Memphis at all. Stanford kind of had a hangover, I think, from USC um, and losing at San Diego State. That being said, I think the Trees get it done, but I think it's going to be super close. Ryan?
0: Well, you've got the Bruins who can put points up but can't stop anybody. And then, I don't know what's going on with Stanford. Stanford
3: can't put points
0: up. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) they can't put points up and they let the whack, not a whack team, a Mountain West team beat them, but uh, since Stanford's at home with that sweet home-field advantage they have there on the farm, (laughs) I'm going to go Stanford in a close one.
1: The next one is Washington's traveling to Boulder to take on the Buffs, where Washington is favored by 10. Both teams are undefeated. Washington is seventh in the country right Scott where are you going with this one?
3: Oh, I think uh, McIntyre and his pretty little hair going down I
1: think I think Washington wins big I agree I I, I think if, if I was putting money I would take the over uh, for Washington I think they they cover well more than 10 points I'm going with the Huskies Ryan agreed Huskies get it done big on the road all right, and the last game we have for you is number five, USC Fighting Trojans traveling to Cal Berkeley to take on my Golden Bears <laughs> that I've now disowned. Uh, USC How is convenient. <laughs> USC is favored by 16 and a half. Scott, where are you going with this?
3: Yeah, this will be a route. Although I said that last week with Texas-USC, uh, which went into overtime. Good game. Um so it gives me hope USC is not unbeatable. But I've I, I've got I've got USC on this one.
1: I would have thought that this game could be a trap game for USC. Um I think Cal is, is shown that they are better than what people think. Uh they're not world beaters yet. So with the scare that USC got against Texas last week, I, I think they'll be in the right mindset for this and uh the Trojans will come away victorious,
0: Ryan. I'm going with the golden just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think this one's gonna be close. Trojans in a landslide. Alright, so that will do it
1: for us tonight. Ryan, where can people find you on Twitter? At drum and feather. That's drum. The letter N feather. And Scott? Uh, Ute Man underscore forever. And you can follow me at Utah Man Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. And you can always catch us at our home at utahmanpodcast.com. And we're on iTunes, Stitcher, and everywhere else you can find a podcast. Until next time, go Utes. Go Utes. Go New Chu. We're good. Let's cut it. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are their own and are no way affiliated with the University of Utah. Stars are 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 shining. The first three games, uh, Harrington or I <laughs> combine Huntley and Carrington as if they had a baby.
0: <laughs> what would what would a Huntley Harrington baby look like? You mean Huntley Carrington? What? <laughs> I did it, too.
3: <laughs> Whoa, well, that's a good question, though. What would a Huntley Carrington baby be like? That'd be a
0: heck of an athlete.
1: <laughs> Throw the ball to himself? Really, I think this one could go either way. Uh, watch the UCLA... Well, Memphis. most games can go either oh, way. <laughs> that was kind of a dumb... Thanks, Booner. <laughs>